Hello and welcome to Atlantic Conversations. I'm Fanula Sweeney. The Atlantic Fellowship Programme works with a diverse community of leaders around the world with a common commitment to fairer, healthier, more inclusive societies. Through its seven programmes focused on equity and healthcare, socio-economic equity and racial equity, the Atlantic Fellowships offer those leaders an opportunity to gain new perspectives and new colleagues, while strengthening their confidence in their work for change. In each podcast, I'll be speaking to an Atlantic Fellow about their work and ambitions for a more just world. For this series, I travelled to Sao Paulo, Brazil, for the Global Brain Health Institute Annual Conference, where I caught up with a number of Atlantic Fellows. Today, I'm joined by Agustina Banyas, an Atlantic Fellow for Equity and Brain Health. Agustin is a neuroscientist from Argentina, with a background in psychology and electrophysiology, which he studied at the Max Planck Institute for Brain Research in Germany. I began by asking what field he was working in now in Argentina. I am mainly working in social, cognitive and affective neuroscience. All the social and emotional behaviors and how we can learn from that to understand how the brain works, how we can apply that knowledge to understand dementia. Scans, social, cognitive and affective neurosciences have big promises. One is to provide better description of the symptom of the patient and developing new treatments or helping patients, but also it's important to understand the humans because we are essentially social and social dimension of humanity has been captured mostly by social science. So we have the huge opportunity to combine different explanatory levels, including biological and neurocognitive, to understand who we are. This is fundamental. They are like two pathways. One is how the social factors impact on dementia. Interact with your genes, how you have a worse prognosis. But also it's important to understand which social cognition deficit you have. Not only in the BBFTD, in the behavioral variant of frontotemporal dementia, but in many other cognitions. Social cognition has been not classically assessed in many dementia and neurological disease. So it's a really large landscape to assess these dimensions in multiple patients that are critical for their functional life. What is the situation regarding diagnosis of dementia and social support for people with dementia in your country, Argentina? Well, in Argentina, like in most of the Latin American countries, there is a big challenge for diagnosis, especially for BBFTD patients, because that kind of diagnosis requires a consensus group of specialists, very well trained, and we don't have the capacity, we don't have the funding, the training to provide that. So you can do it just in the big centers, in the hubs, in the big cities. So we want to extend that. We want to make research, but also we want to make training to assure that we can detect those patients, providing social integration, providing rehabilitation programs to re-understand the social clues are essential because loneliness, for example, there is clear evidence of how it impacts in the worst outcomes of the patients. It's essential. Then family understand that the social cognition in those patients has been changed a lot, so they have to learn to were like external minds supporting the minds of the patient that are blind for some social interactions. The situation you describe in Argentina, is that reflected across much of Latin America? 
absolutely. We have big challenge, not only for diagnosis. We have one of the largest prevalence of dementia in the world. We have the largest familial influence, that means genetics influence for many different conditions, not only Alzheimer, but also BPFTD, Cadacil, frontotemporal dementia, Parkinson, and many other conditions. We have a big gap between private and public clinics, so most of the people don't get good access. Governments don't realize how big will be the problem in the near future. There is not awareness in the population. There is a lot of stigma about having dementia. So we need a big change, providing networking across country and providing a clear horizon that we have to converge from research, for care, from health system to make a change that can help. You've been in Sao Paulo all week talking with colleagues from across Latin America. What's come out of that? We are very proud that we are launching the Latin American and Caribbean Consortium on Dementia. This week? This week, yes. We have been working like four years in a very isolated way without the support of multiple international organizations. But this meeting has been incredible. It has been a huge opportunity to combine efforts. We now understand that we want to develop a common voice across all different interests. We are aware that if we don't put the power together... Everyone will be working in their own individual silos and no one will reap the benefit. Absolutely. We have to change. What will be the first challenge of this network? The first challenge should be funding. We are very excited that we have a lot of support from many agencies. The big challenge is beginning to change. Another big challenge is diversity. So many different situations. So we have to learn how to integrate a really global view across Latin America. We are not ready for that. This is a really, really big challenge. And the other is to learn how to maximize individual effort in a common good. To have maximum impact, presumably, on policy in different countries. Absolutely. That is quite a challenge. Can you talk to me about any of the work you've done, perhaps in Argentina or indeed other countries in South America, where you've been able to really research the societal impact of having dementia or trauma and the impact it can have on a group of people? We have been able to develop several actions toward this. First, to create a culture of data sharing, because the people here don't have that culture. With that, we can get larger samples that can provide better science. We can have a better impact. Now, most of the people across Argentina, Chile, Uruguay, Peru, Brazil, Ecuador, coming soon, Mexico and Costa Rica and Colombia... All of those countries have already clear that we move toward data sharing. We already published like five papers with multicentric studies, and we are now going to provide a data sharing platform that is supported by the Inter-American Developmental Grant that will help a lot the GBHA Association, particularly Bruce Miller and their team, Kate Posing, Kate Rankin, Jennifer Yokohama, Howie Rosen, and many, many, many others are making an exchange of knowledge between Latin America and U.S. that is critical. So we want to harmonize the protocols, but we want to keep the local specificities or local evaluation that are critical to understand, you know, the ecology of the situation. 
you have done some work in Colombia, have you not? Yes. With former combatants. Yes. What drew you to do this kind of work? What was the purpose of that? Because I am really interested in social cognition, I was always extremely interested in violence because it's a really example of how complex behavior is. You have genetic predisposition, you have biological process related to dementia, but you have extremely important psychological and cultural aspect of violence. Colombia have a strong impact of violence because the conflict between guerrillas, paramilitaries and the militaries, they are more or less 7 million victims, indirect and direct victims of these conflicts. It's huge. Even when now we are in the peace process, they are big problems for reintegration. To provide education, social support, legal support for ex-combatants, this is not enough. If you want to disarm the ex-combatants, you have to disarm their minds. You have to work in the cognitive aspect and in the large impact that 10 to 40 years of violence have in your brain. So this is not easy And at how all. did they respond to your request to do this research? There is a really big interest in Colombia, in the governments and in the researchers and the people in general to move forward, to stop the war, to have peace. So we have been studying the empathy of combatants, the neural correlates of basic emotional process, the moral cognition of the ex-combatants. Now we are beginning to make the largest study in the world, 26,000 ex-combatants, and we are using machine learning and deep learning to try to predict violence and to try to identify factors. It's a preliminary study, not published yet, but... We had found that the social aspect, like the values of the group membership, are more critical than the individual factors for people to become engaged in violent behavior. If you have problems in your social network, for example, if your family has been suffering violence, if you have a really small social network, or if you don't have alternatives to interact with people that is not in the conflict, you have high risk, high probability to develop violence. When you look at individual factors like impulsivity, psychopathological problems, they are important, but they seem to not be the most important. The most important are the features that are coming from social and contextual factors. This is good news because you can modify that. But then there is the other side of the problem, society. Society is not ready to hold. receive them. We need a rehabilitation process for society, for community. This is a really, really difficult situation. We are trying to develop intervention, long-term studies. You cannot make an intervention of six months and mm. expect that 40 years will change. So we're trying to convince the government that we need long-term invest in rehabilitation, including communities, not only members. So this is much more than counselling or truth and reconciliation. This is actually approaching it from science-based evidence to determine how best a country divided can move forward. Absolutely. There is almost no evidence-based intervention programs for violence. We are proposing a two-step approach, doing research first to get evidence towards which factors are critical to violence because we don't have a complete model of how violence develops. How long do you think this research will take? I think that it should take a really long run, to be honest, between this year and two years more to provide strong evidence from a pro 
problems we have and that we should do. We are preparing a set of publications showing how long-lasting is the effect of violence and which are the most important factors that we want to intervene. But then the real intervention process will take five to ten years at least. What happens to a country in the meantime while this intervention is taking 10 to 15 years or more? Very difficult question because now Colombia, there is a rise of conflict again, not armed conflict, but big political issues. The peace process requires justice be stopped for a while. Otherwise, there's no chance. So all the legal process and justice process will take a lot of years. This is a really huge cost, reducing the suffering from victims, protecting the negative outcome from ex-combatants are critical while we're waiting for that. Regarding how general is the application, if you think in other forms of violence of terrorism, they seem to be extremely different and we should take care about the context. The context is critical. Social context factors are... It's different in every situation. Absolutely, and we cannot avoid that. Do you think it would be possible to have a template which could then be adapted? can be adapted, but you have to test that. You have to see if that is working in that population. So I think that bridge between, and that can be applied, but not without current research in other regions. Let me switch subjects and ask you about being an Atlantic Fellow for Equity and Brain Health. Now that you've graduated, you're part of a wider community of Atlantic Fellows, seven programs across the world, pursuing different kinds of equity in different areas. Does that resonate with you in terms of your work? Absolutely. I've seen that because I am working with dementia and with violence. I know how important is the interdisciplinary views and how intermixes is biology with culture or how intermixed is the intervention with the family and the social support. So I think that the potential of interaction between the different institutes is a unique opportunity. We don't have that kind of global knowledge. We have to learn how to build that. And I think that the Atlantic Institute are providing a unique opportunity for this. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And we will look forward to hearing about your progress in due course. Thank you so much. And that was Agustina Banez, Atlantic Fellow for Equity and Brain Health. For more information, you can visit www.atlanticfellows.org. I'm Fanula Sweeney. And you've been listening to the Atlantic Conversations podcast.